Welcome to Media and Monuments, presented by Women in Film and Video in Washington, D.C. Media and Monuments is conversations featuring industry pros speaking on a wide range of topics of interest to media makers. Welcome to Media and Monuments. I'm your host, Tara Jabari, and today we have Jim Panola. He's a storyteller and a freelance storyboard artist and illustrator with experiences in short films, features, commercials, music videos, and documentaries. He's also the writer, producer, and host of the podcast, An Invitation to the Invitation, which breaks down the 2015 film, The Invitation. The podcast has earned acclaim from filmmakers and actors like Karen Kusama, John Carroll Lynch, and Logan Marshall Green, among others. Jim is currently a graduate student at the Savannah College of Art and Design, pursuing an MFA in dramatic writing. Welcome, Jim. Thank you, Tara. I'm very happy to be here. This is great. So, to give a little bit of background for the listeners, I met you virtually Mm -hmm. uh, because, full disclosure, um, I like Logan Marshall Green. Don't we all? <laughs> so I was like, oh, I'm sure he's been on some podcasts. And then yours yeah. came and popped up. What made you decide to delve into that particular film? Let's start there. Uh, that's a great question. The answer is, it was something I think I first had the seed of the idea in, let's see, probably like summer 2019. And I have to give, I have to give a shout out, and at least some credit to someone who I consider to be like my, my podfather, if you will, my podcasting godfather, a writer, a journalist named Blake Howard, who's based out of Australia, I believe. And I mention him because in the summer of 2019, through the co-writer of the invitation, actually, Phil Hay, who's married to Karen, who also produced the movie, he wrote it with Matt Manfredi, his writing partner. Through Phil Hay, I found out about Blake Howard's podcast, which is called One Heat Minute. And the whole premise of that is he, per episode, breaks down one minute from Michael Mann's heat, one episode at a time. Oh, so It's a long movie. That is a very long movie. So you could see what an insane undertaking that is, right? Um, so I remember hearing about that through Phil Hay just being like, wow, this is, this is so cool. And I think I was scrolling through episodes. He was already pretty deep into it at that point. And I noticed he, he had uh, secured um, an interview with Michael Mann himself. And I was like, wow. I was like, oh man, you know, what if, what if I did that one day? Ah, I'm not going to do that. And, um, and then fast forward to around like fall 2019, I was very heartbroken and uh, upset and, you know, things like drawing, like storyboards, like illustrating um, were just like, it it felt very hollow and I needed a different creative outlet. And I thought of that podcast thing again. I was like, and that like lit a spark in me. Like that made me excited about doing something creative. Um, I, I had no sort of like previous emotional attachments to that medium because I'd never tried it before. So it was like, it felt new, it felt fresh, 
felt genuinely inspiring. And then, of course, that led into March 2020. Um, so all the conditions weirdly bizarrely fell in fell into place a little bit um but i remained very proud of it and by the time i did make it a public endeavor and started publishing episodes and whatnot um it got a really uh good response from the people involved and because we we started this conversation talking about logan marshall green let me give him a shout out because I'm obviously a huge fan of him, not not only as an actor, but as a filmmaker. Um, and he, man, he said a few things. He has been so supportive, and it makes me a little emotional. Um, he, uh, you know, when I first announced the podcast, he, he replied, to, I think, to maybe some tweet of mine where he's like, Jim, this is great. Can't wait to hear your story. And then when I interviewed him, I got to tell him how much that meant to me. Um, and... On top of that, I think maybe a week or so after that, I'm not sure what the exact timeline is. I remember, uh, you know, opening up my phone and and seeing LMGs now following you, and he had DM'd me saying, "I, fr- I don't even remember what he said, but it was just it was it was blowing my mind." This guy. And how this did guy, he find out about the podcast? I, I I had tagged basically everyone I could find that was involved in the movie in my very tag- first announcement tweet. It's super interesting, and because I like work with a lot of um companies and nonprofits and stuff about they, with their social media we're like mm. we got to tag them we got to tag mm. our funders right. we got to tag possible people we want to partner with we got to whatever cuz yeah. you never know and the, you're an exact good example of that i think mm. you had released it during lockdown yeah so people were sort of couldn't go anywhere right. and stuff so they were kind of like oh, what's this kind of thing? And it was just like the timing could not have gone better because you got the director, you got some of the actors, other people involved in the film. I was like, oh my God, it's like the dream come true. It was. It, no, it totally was because an invitation to the invitation is, I think in essence, it's I was making it for two audiences. One mm-hmm. was myself and then the other was the filmmakers, the cast and the crew sort of as a love letter, like, hey, I love your movie. I've thought about it a lot. It is a selfish project in that it was my excuse to finally dissect and explore. Before podcasting, before going into graduate school for writing and all that stuff, you started as a storyboard artist, illustrator. Could Mm -hmm. you break it down to like, what does that mean it is uh the role um of an illustrator or artist in pre-production most often in pre-production who essentially just draws out the shots or frames that are going to be filmed once production starts um so it is it is it's not uh something every director does um some people are very pro storyboards. Some are very anti. There's some hilarious Werner Herzog quote where he says something like, you know, storyboards are like the tool of the coward <laughs> or something, oh, yeah. which is, I love Werner Herzog. It's, I think it's hilarious. But the point being that it's, um, it's very sort of a, a per director basis, you know, and also sometimes, you know, for like, a, say a corporate gig, the client just wants to see what the director is intending to shoot. 
So it's in essence a visual roadmap for any filmed media, music videos, commercials, feature films, short films, any visual media storyboards can be applied to that. Um, so it's, it's really like sort of a comic book. It's doing the same things that comic books are doing, but um, with a more utilitarian purpose, if you will. So do you work very closely with the director to get that vision? I'm trying to think if there have any been any uh, instances where I haven't worked closely with the director, and I don't think there are any. So it, it actually is, now that I think about it more closely, um, it, is, it is sort of um, a strangely intimate uh, dialogue with the director because you are, as a storyboard artist, you're sort of acting as the executor of their vision, literally, in a way. I mention that just because you, you can't really get that from a uh, production manager or a cinematographer necessarily. Um, so it, it really has to be uh, a one-to-one sort of dialogue for it to work effectively because uh, communication between those two parties is, is everything. Um, so it, it is very much a director storyboard artist relationship for the storyboards to be created. There is a quote by Alfred Hitchcock mm. who was saying like, he loved the storyboard process that he's like, I basically am making the film a second time and it's boring because mm. he already worked with the storyboard artist. Do you know what I'm talking about? Have you heard about this? I've definitely read some version of that. His storyboards are so beautiful. I forget who the artist usually is. Yeah. And then I also remember the film seven, David mm. Fincher seven, there's an alternate ending in the DVD extras. Right, right. They didn't shoot it, but they had the storyboard. So you right. could watch it. And I remember watching it. And I'm like, dang, that's mm-hmm. dark. Mm-hmm. Or no, mm-hmm. I'm sorry. The, the original ending was not as dark as what they chose. That was not going to spoil it for people. Not going to sure. spoil it. But mm-hmm. did you ever watch those um, extras? Do you know what I'm talking about? I definitely watched the seven ones. I remember that. I, I, I don't remember the content of the ending itself, but I do remember seeing the boards uh, yes. as a sort of showing the deleted scene through the illustrations, through the frames. Exactly. So, yep. so there are people who use it. And I also found your Vimeo. Mm, yeah. Um, and so it seems, I think like Campo Vejo. Oh, yeah. Is that a commercial? That was for a company called EdgeDNA, New York-based company. Their specialization is sort of VR and AR as in augmented reality type things. So anytime they would contact me, uh, to my knowledge, it would usually be for me to create images that they would then use as a pitch for a client like Campo Viejo or for LifeWater, people Got like it. that. Okay. So, so that was that was usually my role when they would ask for something from me. I think to 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 sort of execute a pitch that they were working on. Got it. So it sounds like sometimes you have to be d- the eyes. Okay, so it's a scene between two people in a cafe. Mm-hmm. One I'll do from, and it's a man and a woman. One is from the man's side. One is from the woman's side, over the shoulder this is what I'm thinking. That's your interpretation. Like that's what you're visualizing. Or are you talking to the director and he's like, I want it from, or they are asking for 
I want it from the woman's side and then from his side, but I also want the woman's side to be in front of a window, something like that. Like where, who does that? I think maybe in early, early days getting out of undergrad, I, I can remember more instances of say being on a phone call with a director and getting verbal directions and me like having to sort of like s scramble to write notes either by hand or typing them somewhere on my computer. Um, there have been times where I've sort of done very loose, rough thumbnails while speaking to a director. Um, and those were not super efficient ways of working. Again, those were like earlier days. So definitely still learning in the more recent years. I've found that I think both for myself and the director that the most efficient way of getting the boards themselves is to have, in essence, uh, uh, a shot list from the director. And that'll usually come in the form of an email, which is very helpful. It sounds simple and basic, and it is. But it's so important because it shows both parties that there's a record of the shots that are wanted. So when I come back with, say, a first pass, it's like, well, if you look at the email chain, you said wide uh, of the taco stand, and you said two characters coming in from the foreground. You know, having that record, having that chronological document it is so important in, in my experience, not just as like my own personal reference guide, I can always go back to that. Right, that that's what they said. Okay. Ch -ch -ch. And like, there, like in many times I will write out exactly what's in the shot list or something very similar, use their own words just to create that shared reality. You know what I mean? Because of course you're going to get notes, you're going to get changes, you're going to get feedback, but having that shared reality <laughs> is again, again, it's basic, but I, in my experience, it's so important. Um, but to answer your question, having a shot list is really the best thing for a storyboard artist, I think, um, because it, it just becomes sort of a Bible. And, you know, I think maybe when I was younger, I probably had a perception or, or, um, a goal that being a board artist would be a place where I could really inject some creativity. And of course you do, that goes without saying, but I only mention that because again, the more experience I accumulated, the more I realized the more clarity on the end of the director, the better. If you know exactly what you want as a director, that's going to make both of our lives easier. Because usually the turnarounds are very tight. So there, there isn't time to be like, oh, let's try this, let's try that. So the clearer you are as a filmmaker, the faster the results, the better the results. Just being as, as communicative as possible, really. So forgive my ignorance, but it would be like, you're the first part. So, mm -hmm. or is it more like the rehearsal stage where they can play around? They're like, oh, you know what? Mm -hmm. We want them to be to the side of the taco stand, not in front of this taco stand. We want mm -hmm. not 
over the shoulder, but side to side shots. Like, where does that come in your experience? I'll use a more recent uh, project as an example, maybe, because, of course, a lot of the time, um, I think part of what is fun about even the role of being a board artist is really no two projects are alike. There's going to be mm-hmm. different deadlines. There's going to be different uh, X, Y, or Z. It's it's very, very rare that it'll be exactly the same, if ever. This music video I worked on maybe earlier this year, or some months ago, there was dance choreography involved. And the director had sent me um, rehearsal footage of the choreography. So it wasn't the final actors doing it, but I, I assume it was the choreographers who were not only uh, practicing the dance moves, but they were simultaneously practicing the camera moves that would go along with the dance moves. Uh, and that ended up being enormously helpful for me because I could just screenshot that rehearsal footage and use those exact poses and like honestly (laughs) i remember seeing seeing that test footage and being like well you've kind of these are the camera moves this is the choreography um are you sure you need me of course i didn't say that um but it was the point being that there was um precision and forethought that was happening and it was being shared with me so i was able to use that and i think because of that, have uh, ideal storyboards because I was able to get a peek into the other departments that were also working on this same project, which is another way of saying that I don't think there's necessarily any real um, standard necessarily in terms of when they occur in pre-production because even sometimes like this is uh, probably an outlier, but like, you know, Mission Impossible will be in well into production and they will fly out a storyboard artist to observe the location, observe the mm-hmm. set and do the boards based on that. That, of course, is hyper budget, um, there's big stars involved, but there is flexibility is what I'm saying. So that probably comes back to the fact that no two projects are necessarily alike. Um, so I think it comes down to the director, essentially, how they want to sequence things. I think most directors have a good idea of how much time they would need to get the images they want uh, before cameras officially start rolling. Um, so there's, there's a lot of wiggle room, I guess. Hopefully mm-hmm. that brings some insight. I really think the only sort of... Uh, golden rule, if any, with boards is to have them (laughs) before you hit record. That's the whole point, having that map to not only uh, make that sort of inner director vision tangible, but to share it with the crew, to share it with the the cast. There's a great quote from uh, Francis McDormand, I think, on the, um, the Criterion edition of Blood Simple, and she says something to the effect of like, anytime I meet a new director, the first thing I ask is, do you storyboard? And for her, that's so important because it's like, oh, so you do have a vision. You do have some idea of what you're doing as opposed to just improv you know, off, off the top of your head. Um, 
So I, I, it's, it's, I always find that fascinating. I love that there are sort of acolytes on both sides. I love the Matrix films, and the first three were just storyboarded within an inch of their life. It was so meticulous. It was, again, like a comic book. If you look up those storyboards, they are a comic book. It, it, they were drawn by comic book artists, Steve Scross, Jeff Darrow. Um, and I was watching the special features on the newest Matrix film, Resurrections. And Lana Wachowski, the, the director, is talking about how she basically no longer storyboards. Mm. And I mean, that the, this is getting into so many other conversations, but I just find that so fascinating that there, there's room for both. And I think in her case, um, it's just interesting because she had basically gotten to a place of confidence as an artist and filmmaker where she just didn't need the boards anymore. And it, it, it also mirrors things that happened in her personal life, but um, essentially she had just become so experienced, so confident that it's just like, no, I know what I'm doing. <laughs> and I think that's awesome. I think that's so cool. Yeah. So there, there's room for both in the world of filmmaking. And I think, I just think that's, that's cool. So I don't take it personally when filmmakers like Herzog are like, fuck storyboards. I think they're great, but you know, there's room for both approaches and there should be. Well, am I mistaken that you're also working on your first like short film? I've produced a couple short films in the past for fun. Um, The one I'm producing right now, I think it's safe to say it's the first time where I've been the sole producer, the only producer on it. And it's, I've never done one on this scale before. It's, it's obviously micro budget, but um, being the only producer on it and doing it at this level is a new experience for me. And uh, I'm definitely learning. And I actually had a meeting with the director today, an old friend of mine, and we were having a very similar discussion where um, just talking about, you know, the things we missed and, how this is going to help going forward. And we, we watched an assembly cut of what we had shot and we were just taking notes on, um, you know, dialogue replacement that we're going to need from most, if not all of the actors. And that's been a really fun process because it's also a short film that I was uh, the screenwriter for, which adds to how personal it is. But it, it as I said to uh, some classmates of mine, it's, one of the gratifying things about it has been how I've been reminded that I just really love the sort of smaller scale indie way of making a movie by which I mean, some of my peers produced uh, films that were a little more crew heavy, uh, mm-hmm. a, a little more technical um, things of that nature. And there are pros and cons to larger crew, smaller crew, obviously, but I guess in my current experience, I was just reminded how much I really enjoy the sort of fast and loose organic approach that really gets facilitated when you do have a smaller crew. Like I think our crew was maybe like a four or five person crew, which is really, which is really small. And again, like, you know, Everyone's doing double duty because of that. But one of the strengths I found was that 
we could work in a very sort of discreet and fast way. It, it all takes place in one location, so that helps a lot. And uh, the, the staff at the location were so, so generous, so that is also huge. Um, but all of that being said, I, I still think there's really something special about the sort of space that you're given when you don't have to basically play a game of telephone with like eight different department heads. You can really just sort of, and at least in this scenario, it just created uh, an environment where we could move quickly and efficiently. And those are not two adjectives you hear a lot when it comes to filmmaking, <laughs> necessarily. Yeah. Um, so anything that creates the conditions for you to uh, work fast and efficient and have fun while doing it, that's great. And that was my experience in production in these last few weeks. And that's, you know, the invitations was made under similar circumstances. So I was definitely thinking about that, like, you know, it's not a lot of money, not a, not a lot of people, but there are benefits to it. And, it, and I was tangibly reminded in a, in a firsthand way that there, there is something to that. And I think that is more my style when it comes to to making stuff, to making movies, is that more intimate approach. I think that resonates more strongly with me, at least on a creative level. <laughs> Did you do storyboarding for these shorts? That Did you not. This, yeah, the short, the short that I'm, uh, I'm in post-production for right now, it's called Closed Casket. It's a very silly comedy. Um, I wrote it as well. And there was, there's a brief discussion between myself and the director about doing boards and the director john my friend i've i've done boards for him in the past he he had he's he's in post for another film actually he's in post for closed casket and another film simultaneously and i he asked me to do a few boards for that as well so we have done that many times um and we didn't end up doing it for this um i think probably just because of it being a one location story mm -hmm. um engendered a sort of uh space where uh, it it in other words it wasn't a super meticulous or action heavy plot so it could be a little more um organic which it was mm -hmm. so still had a shot list but um the other thing about storyboards is they are generally speaking uh used more for action heavy or complex sort of sequences which is why you'll most often see them for like a car chase mm -hmm. or a you know or a foot chase or anything that involves sort of um fast cutting and high speed things of that yeah. nature um but again they serve multiple purposes sometimes a client just wants to see what a director is thinking um, and it doesn't have to be something super crazy or bombastic, but yeah, I think the only time I had really considered doing boards for this short foreclosed casket was in a promotional aspect because mm -hmm. it was relatively speaking, a, a simple thing to shoot and it didn't beg for pre-visualization. Um, the only way I had really considered doing them was as a way to promote the movie and there's, that is still a possibility in a weird way. But I have boarded things I've shot in the past. And it's, 
as as someone who is who is not a director, um, my limited experience in sort of communicating uh, what's in the drawn storyboard frame to a camera operator or cinematographer, it's just a very confidence instilling tool because I think the good directors are good communicators. Um, and if you're having trouble, uh, communicating what a shot is, just being able to point at a picture that eliminates that whole issue (laughs) essentially, (laughs) or it could, but you see what I mean? It creates a shorthand that is very valuable, you know? Well, it goes back to that Alfred Hitchcock. I mean, he's like, oh, I've already done this. Right. It was basically that. He was like, I already filmed this I love that. with the storyboard illustrator. I have a lot of love for, for storyboards and sequential art. And part of the reason I've, I've sort of begun to slowly pivot away is because I think there are just way better, way better people out there to be doing it other than me. Um, I have I have so much love for the art form. I was just I was at my brother's yesterday or two days ago, and I was browsing his shelf, and I picked up the Tenet uh, paperback that he had on on his shelf. Tenet, as in the Christopher Nolan screenplay. Oh yeah, that's right. Yeah, and and I immediately flipped to the back because I knew there were storyboards in it, and I I don't think I'd ever really looked at them before, and I just like I just got so sucked into them. I find it so unique. I find it to be such a unique medium because, you know, say by comparison, comic books, like that is the final form. The comic book, the graphic novel, that is the final form. Storyboards are sort of like they they occupy a weird liminal space where they have that very utilitarian uh, context where like, it's like, all right, guys, this is what we're shooting today. Get the DP over here. Get the lead over here. This is what we're doing. This is the idea. Um and then you shoot it and you edit it and they've sort of served their purpose and they, they sort of get locked away or whatever, thrown in a vault. Um, but they're often so beautiful. And then you get to compare the board with the final shot. And I, I just find that so fascinating how they are both artistic and utilitarian, essentially. I feel like that's, that's sort of like a strangely rare mix. Um, and I think it's a reason I will, I will always just love love them and and I especially love love them for live action because in animation it's it's really non-negotiable you you have to have storyboards period for your film in live action like we were discussing you've got your Herzogs were like eh, no 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 then you got maybe say your Nolans were like oh we need boards so the fact that it is it is sort of artist specific it it just creates this um, this sort of conversation about what is required of films and how does the choice to use boards or not really affect your movie i like that i I just think it's so cool so many things are of course becoming automated right um and now and now we've got ai art that's a whole new wrinkle to the to the creative conversation and despite all that like i never really see storyboards going away and i think that's so Mm -hmm. i think that's so cool as as much as we can sort of defer to uh to machinery and to artificial intelligence uh miraculously it's like there's i don't know there's just it's it's just specific enough that i i can't imagine automated storyboards there's of course 
3D pre-visualization that's used as a sort of um, alternative to storyboards sometimes. But, you know, uh, at the end of the day, a film is a 2D screen or a 2D projection. So there is that sort of crossover uh, between the final mm-hmm. image and what the artist is drawing on an iPad or a piece of paper. I don't think they, they will ever really truly be phased out. They're just too useful. They're too useful and movies are too expensive. <laughs> Yeah, <laughs> for them so not we, to exist. <laughs> so yeah. you know what I mean. Like we we've got the Lana Wachowskis of the you know of the world who who are brilliant enough to show up and and improvise, but for the rest of us, storyboards are a godsend. <laughs> Maybe. Yeah. Well, thank you so much. Thank you. Um, and congratulations on all the success with your podcast with your short films and and graduates degree and and becoming a master is what i call it and all that stuff Hmm. so thank you i thank you appreciate it so much i had so much fun thank you for listening to media and monuments a service of women in film and video in washington dc please remember to review rate and subscribe wherever you listen to this podcast For more information about WIF, please visit our website at WIF as in Frank, V as in Victor.org.